Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Last week we were talking about the one another aspect of being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, One of the most beautiful aspects of becoming a Christian is the way that we gain a whole new family. And as God's family, we bear one another's burdens. Uh, This is all part of living by the Spirit. It's all part of keeping in step with the Spirit. And so if I don't love the family of God... And uh, if I don't love connecting with the family of God, well, that's a pretty sure sign that I'm not a spiritual person. And today's reading, uh, by the way, sometimes we think that this passage is just about giving. Uh, and it is about giving, but it's about much more than giving. Today's reading is about bearing one another's burdens. And part of bearing one another's burdens is to support those who preach the gospel and more specifically to support those who teach the word, which presents a bit of a dilemma for me um, because as somebody who teaches the word, um, and let's face it, primarily our ministry here at Bush Disciples is a teaching ministry. And for me, as someone who teaches the word, well, I I don't want to come across as being somebody who's being very self-serving because here I am, a Bible teacher, teaching his listeners to give money to support the Bible teacher. Um, But I've got to get over that embarrassment. And because as I've explained before, um, just about every other time I've given a message on giving or tithing, uh, there's a a fair few churches around who shamelessly give a message on giving um, every single Sunday, just before the offering's taken up. And usually that message will revolve around, if you put more money in, you're going to get all these blessings and God's going to bless you right back. By the way, I actually find that abhorrent, the way that that message usually gets presented. It gets presented as, you put in the money now and you're going to receive physical blessings. And so it sort of gets presented as some kind of obscene get-rich-quick scheme Um, where I give money and I get more money back, or some kind of buy your blessings here scheme. So the more you give, the more you're going to be physically blessed. Uh, So I find that obscene because I don't believe that's the gospel. But by working our way through whole books of the Bible, we hear about money, we hear about giving, we hear about tithing, just as often as what God wants to bring it up. And today is that day. Now, the thing is, for some of us, God might bring this up more often than what we'd like. But I'm not going to apologise for teaching on this because God has put it in his word and we need to hear what God has to say on giving. 
Now, when it comes to giving, it seems to me that there's two types of people in the church and they're both looking for an excuse. The first type of person is looking for an excuse to give. Now, by the way, it's often not the ones who have the most money who are looking for the excuse to give. Um, have you ever noticed this, though, that, that some people, they're just filled with generosity and they're always looking for an opportunity to give. Um, I'm, when I was writing this message, I, I thought about one particular experience I had. It was not long after we started Bush Disciples. And um, so we just planted this little church out in the sticks with, with no mothership supporting us, no, no guarantee from, from a um, bunch of donors that, that we're going to support you for the next few years. We sort of just started. And, and I, went, I actually went to a conference. And at that conference, I was in a small group of blokes and, and, we, and they asked me the question, well, where are you from? What are you doing? And, and we talked, told them, I told them about Bush Disciples and whatnot. And anyway, close to the end of that conference, um, this old man, he would have been in his late 70s, came up to me and he, he handed me an envelope and he said, look, this is all I can afford to give, but I want to support you in the ministry that you're doing there. And, um, and I didn't know what was in the envelope, but I was, I was humble. And then later on when I opened the envelope, I can't remember what was in it, it might have been $100 or something, but I cried just because of the humbling of what this was. I, this old bloke, what I did know about him was he'd been a pastor his whole life. And so he'd sort of been a pastor back in the day when pastors were expected to live on a pittance. And from what I could see of him and his wife, they just lived very simply. My guess is they're probably living on the pension. But he just felt that he just needed to give. And some people are like that. They're always watching to see what God is doing, always watching to see where there is a need where, where, where they can give, and that's what they do. But then there's the second group of people who are also looking for an excuse, but it's an excuse to why I don't give or why I can't give or why I shouldn't give or why I'm not in a position to give. Um, because let's face it, for some of us, the last part of us to be saved is our hip pocket. So I heard a story once that there were three men discussing how it was, how they would decide to put how much, how much money to put in the offering each week. And the first man said, well, look, what I do is when I get my pay packet at the end of the week, what I do is I get a piece of chalk and I draw a circle on the ground and I throw all the money up in the air and what lands in the circle, I give that to God. And the second man said, well, what a coincidence. I do something very similar. When I get my pay, pay packet, I also get a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the ground. And I throw all my money up in the air. And what, lives out, what falls outside of the circle, that's what I give to God. And what falls in the circle, I keep for myself. And the third man said, well, Actually, I do something very similar. When I get my pay packet, I don't draw a circle on the ground, but I do throw all the money up in the air. And what God wants, he keeps, and all of the rest that falls to the ground, I spend. Some of you got it. Or maybe it just wasn't that good. <laughs> That's enough out of you, Jake. <laughs> so, what's, but what's your attitude to giving? The Old Testament principle is to tithe a tenth of all that we earn. 
By the way, uh, the Old Testament tithe was to give a tenth of everything. It wasn't a tenth of, of what we earned after expenses were paid for. It wasn't a tenth of our after-tax earnings. It wasn't a tenth of our taxable income. The Old Testament principle of tithing was a tenth of gross income. Every single cent that came in, a tenth of that would go to the temple. Right? So the, the calculations were simple. If you grew 100 tonne of wheat, well, you would deliver 10 tonne in the name of the church. Uh, if your cows produced 100 calves in a year, well, 10 of those calves you would grow out to be the same weight as the others when you're selling them, and those 10 would be sold for the, well, for the temple back in the day, but if you were wanting to apply it today, it'd be for the church. And many Christians believe that they're giving as a tithe uh, not so many are really doing a full tithe um, because a full tithe um, would mean a tenth of gross and there's not many Christians who do that. But the New Testament, it doesn't lay down a law of giving because the Old Testament tithe, that was a law. Whereas in the New Testament, it's more of a heart thing. So on our offering box down the back, we've got a Bible verse, and I don't know if you've ever read it or not, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? It's about giving from the heart. But why do we give? What What's the need for this money? Why does the church need money? Well, let's turn to today's reading. Verse 6 said, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. From the earliest days of the Christian church, out of all of the ministries that we could possibly envisage, it's the teaching ministry, teaching the word of God, that was recognised by the church as being so important that those who are being taught should support the ones who are doing the teaching. Now, let me tell you, as a, as a preacher, as a Bible teacher, um, I guess I've come to know this very well, that to teach the Word of God and to do it well, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time in preparation, a lot of time in study, um, and a lot of time in prayer, and a lot of time just listening to God. And, and when a person is regularly teaching the Word of God, their, their secular employment or their business gets neglected. And so part of our giving is to support the ministry of those who are teaching the Word, because those who teach the Word of God have a reduced capacity to earn a normal living. And for me, this is, I haven't been a preacher all my life, you know, um, only for a few years, decades. I don't know, the years go by, don't they? Um, and, but I've always been of the attitude that if I'm going to benefit from this, and, and let me tell you, I have benefited from, from the teaching of others. Um, it's only right that I should support these people who are teaching, that they're doing the work that God has set for them to do. And it's not just for my own benefit, but for the benefit of everybody else who's also going to get to hear the word of God being taught. 
By the way, it, it's very important, I believe, that, that we direct our support to those who are rightly teaching the Word of God. Right? It's not about supporting an institution. Um, it's not about, oh, I've, been, I've gone to this church my whole life and I can't let it fail. I've got to keep that church going. It's not about supporting an institution. It's about if that church is, is providing the teaching that's not just helping myself, but it, it's helping others, that's a good reason to support that church. And here at Bush Disciples, um, I've, I've been so thankful of the support that comes, not just from locally, but comes from afar. Um, it used to be, uh, I've talked about this at our AGMs over the last couple of years, about whether, where our income comes from to support the ministry here. And I think it used to be over half, but now it's almost half of our annual offerings come from givers who are not local. Why are these people giving to Bush Disciples? Well, it's because they're people who have been connected, connecting into the podcast or listening in on the videos that we record. Um, and, and they've been benefiting from the teaching. And I think it is that they understand what verse six is telling us. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so I wanna say thank you to everybody. Thank you to those who are local, who are supporting Bush Disciples, and also to you guys who are listening to this. Um, some of you are giving and giving regularly. Some of you are giving weekly, some fortnightly, some monthly. Some are giving annually. Um, some are giving just as, as you are able. And it, it all helps to keep us going. Now, as we continue to unpack today's reading, it's important that we understand this. Yes, it is talking about giving, but it's talking about more than giving. It's talking about bearing one another's burdens. But even that needs to be expanded because it's been talking about keeping in step with the Spirit. All right, so keeping in step with the Spirit means that we bear one another's burdens. And bearing one another's burdens impacts on the way that we give, right? So it's about keeping in step with the Spirit, which includes giving. Right, so you with me? It is about giving, but it's about much more than that. And verse seven makes it glaringly obvious that, that what we're hearing today is serious, serious stuff. And we really need to pay attention to this. It says in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, now the Greek word there for mocked, it literally means to turn your snout up at something. Right? So to turn your nose up at God would be to mock God. Now, most of us, we'd like to think that we're above deception and that we're pretty sure of ourselves, well, I'm smart enough, nobody's gonna deceive me. But the deception that he's talking about here is something that, that we're completely unaware of, that the way that we live uh, and what we do or do not do could actually be turning our nose up at God. Now, now that's, I know how you take that, but I take that as take this really seriously. This is. We don't want to be turning our nose up at God, do we? 
So it's to be turning our nose up at God in how I choose to, to live and to be completely unaware of it. That's the deception. So what's he talking about? For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, throughout the last few weeks, Paul has been teaching us about how the desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh oppose one another, right? There's a war going on inside of us, isn't there? And we've been, we've been following this for the last few weeks. Um, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And you recognise that battle going on inside of yourself at times, don't you? Yes? Good, we're awake. And he's, he's told us to walk by the spirit, to be led by the spirit, to live by the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit. And part of this, as we talked about last week, is to bear one another's burdens. And he extends it now into what this means for what we do with our cash. What we do with what we have. Now, a few weeks ago, I gave an example of, of this battle of flesh against spirit. And, and the story was about a lady who asked a pastor, if now, now I've become a Christian, do I have to give up smoking? Do you remember that story? And he said to her, well... I guess that depends. For you, is smoking a craving of the flesh or a craving of the spirit? And of course, she had her answer, didn't she? Um, and, and we all understand that, don't we? The difference between the craving of the flesh and the craving of the spirit. But what if we were to apply this to how we spend our money? We know that there is not any New Testament law about giving. We have to give. Right? The tithe was the Old Testament law. And here in Galatians, we have been getting told over and over again that we are not under the law. And we're being told, do not be a slave to the law. Therefore, if I understand that the tithe is a law that I have to keep, and therefore I have to tithe a 10% of my gross income, otherwise I'm going to be in strife, then I've been deceived. Because we are not to be a slave to the law. By the way, how can I tell if I'm treating the tithe as a law? How can I tell? Well, I'll let you know how. It's when I start asking a question, okay, how much can I minimise this? Am I going to tithe on my profit or am I going to tithe on the gross? Am I going to tithe on my before-tax earnings or after-tax earnings? Am I going to tithe on my um, taxable income or everything that comes in? Or I give, I've got this sponsored child and I give to this poor person here, etc., etc. Will I count that as part of my tithe? By the way, the Old Testament law is no, you don't count that as part of your tithe. Uh, the Old Testament law was you give to the temple, but on top of that, you be generous to those who are in need. 
right? So if I'm treating the tithe like that, and if that's the way I'm thinking, my mindset is a mindset of law. I've been enslaved to the law. But haven't we also learned that if I live by the Spirit, I will fulfil the law? Ah, is the penny dropping, pardon the pun. No, it's not a law that I have to give. And it's not a law that I have to give 10% of my gross income. That's not the law. But if I'm living by the Spirit, I'll give so much more. If I'm controlled by the Spirit, and if I am not controlled by the flesh, I will fulfil the law. Not because it's a rule that I'm enslaved to, but because I give everything to God. I give my all to God. Everything I am, everything I have belongs to God. And that includes my money. Let's go back to that offering box verse. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a decision content to that. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. So how do I decide how much to give? Well, for myself, the first thing I've had to realise is there's a battle going on inside of me. To give or to not to give, that's the question. And this is a battle between the flesh and the spirit because the flesh is telling me, Michael, you don't need to be donating any money. There's so much other stuff that you can do with what you've earned. You can use it to bless your family. You can use it to get a few things together so that you can then have more earning capacity later and you can give to God later. There's so much more that you can do with that. That's what the flesh is telling me. But the Spirit is continually there saying, this is a need to support the ministry of God. So let's think of a few ways our flesh and spirit argue with one another. Giving to the church to support Christian ministry, is that a craving of the flesh or a craving of the spirit? I'm looking for some interaction here. It's a craving of the spirit. Holding back from giving because I'm saving up for a new car, craving of the flesh or a craving of the spirit? It's the flesh. Signing up a sponsor child who's, who's living in poverty. Craving of the flesh or a craving of the spirit? Craving of the spirit. But of course, with all of these things, it could be both. What am I looking to do here? You see, there's a lot of people in the world who give enormous amounts of money to the poor. But they let you know that they're doing it, Right? And so if I'm doing it so that I can give myself glory, does it become a craving of the flesh or a craving of the spirit? It's a craving of the flesh, right? Um, committing myself to a very large debt. 
either to buy a business asset or a home or a car or something, but it, it, it's committing me to pay so much debt that I don't have money left over to spend on supporting ministry. Now, is that a craving of the flesh or the craving of the spirit? It's a craving of the flesh. Supporting a missionary who has left their employment to take the gospel to a place where the gospel is rarely heard. To support that person, would that be a craving of the spirit or a craving of the flesh? Craving of the spirit. Holding back because I've got my own goals that I'm wanting to achieve. I want to pay off the house. I want to build up my superannuation nest egg so I can have a glorious retirement. I want to fund my hobby. I, I, I want to be able to send my kids to a better school. I want to be able to take them on a nice holiday. Or maybe it's just because I do enough for the church and, and somebody else can, can bear the load of giving. Craving of the flesh or a craving of the spirit? It's a craving of the flesh. Now, when it comes to giving, the deception, it, it, it's so seductive. And when we let the flesh win, and we're not living by the Spirit, and have the attitude it doesn't really matter, this is turning my nose up at God. Every time I spend money, I'm either sowing in the flesh or I'm sowing in the spirit. What Paul's teaching us here is entirely consistent with what Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right? And Paul's saying that, that when we sow, when we spend on fleshly stuff, we reap corruption. It, it has no eternal value. Every physical thing I own is going to break or break down. It's going to disintegrate. It's going to burn away. But the craving of the Spirit is to sow from the Spirit and we reap eternal life. Now, let me be really clear here. This is not hinting at any possibility that by my giving, I'm going to be buying myself eternal life. That's not what we're being taught. The reward is the eternity that we already have in Christ Jesus, right? It's been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, this eternal life that we have. And, and this is our faith, is it not? It's only by Christ and what he's done for us, that we can have this eternal life. But, but this is one of the biggest battles of the spirit. The spiritual person focuses on eternity. The spiritual person is living for eternity. Whereas the fleshly person focuses on this life and is striving to achieve a, a whole heap of physical blessings in this life. 
And, and one of the strangest things to me is, is the way that some Christians who, who claim to be really super spiritual people, and yet they're the ones who are almost totally focused on things of the flesh. They'll try and make it sound spiritual, but ultimately they're still focused on things of the flesh. And a pretty good gauge of this is, is what's the focus of our prayer life? When I'm praying for, what am I praying for mostly? Am I praying mostly for physical blessings or for things of the Spirit? Am I, in my prayer life, am I mainly praying for health? Am I mainly praying for prosperity? Am I mainly praying for happiness or for stuff or for a bountiful harvest? Am I always, as soon as, as soon as the crop's just not quite the best it could be, God, please send some more rain so that I can have a bountiful harvest. Or am I praying for things of the Spirit? Am I praying for the salvation of the lost? Am I praying for the return of Jesus and seriously desiring the return of Jesus? You know, I, I suspect that most of us, yes, we say we're keen for Jesus to return, but on the inside, it's like, I'd like to see the grandkids grow up first. Are we praying for the faith and the steadfastness of the persecuted church? Are we praying for the steadfastness of faith for ourselves, that we would never give up? that we would continue being faithful for Jesus and being witnesses for him? Are we praying that, that we would become a people who are in step with the Spirit and that the fruit of the Spirit would be growing and developing and be truly obvious in our lives? And are we praying that we as a church would be witnesses for Christ in the world? See, in our prayer life, is our focus on things of the spirit, things of eternal value, or on things of the flesh that will ultimately disintegrate? Right. Living by the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit, it's a life of doing good and working good. And some people might have an allergy to me saying this, but it's a life of good works. Now, we should know by now that we're not saved by doing good things. But we should also know that because we are saved by what Christ has done for us on the cross and by our faith in Christ, then part of living by the Spirit means we do good. Now, now, scripturally, this is not a controversial issue. As James said, faith without works is dead. But unfortunately, um, some Christians are so strong on saved by grace alone and not by good works that we don't like to hear about good works. And as soon as a preacher says anything about good works, it, oh, you're just preaching all works. Where's the grace? And so... Many people are scared to talk about good works. Let me tell you, the Bible's not scared to talk about good works. 
In fact, this is what our lives are to be characterised by. And something I've noticed is even in the way some of our Bibles are translated, in some of them, this bias comes through. They're not wanting to talk about good works. Um, so my favourite version, the version that I've been using lately, the version that we just read from, is the English Standard Version. And usually it's pretty good. Uh, but in today's reading, it actually gets it wrong. In verse 9, it says, let us not grow weary of doing good. And in verse 10, it then says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Right? Both spots there, do, do. But the underlying Greek word in those two sentences is different. And in verse 9, it's more about doing. But in verse 10, it uses the Greek word ergazomitha from the root word ergon, which means work. And, and that Greek word, it actually means to work or to labour to bring about. All right? So this is how it should read. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us work or let us labour for the good of everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What is this doing good? What is this working good? It's about living by the Spirit. It's about bearing one another's burdens. And yes, it's about giving and it's about demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. This is how we are to live. But what if we're not? Well, verse 7 revealed that this is something that we must not take lightly. God is not mocked. Let us not turn our noses up at God. We do reap what we sow. If our lives are characterised by works of the flesh, we reap corruption. If our lives are characterised by the fruit of the Spirit, we reap eternal life. And I wonder how many of us quickly skim over verse 9 and never consider the impact that it's meant to have on us. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, we will reap. Uh, what are we going to reap? We're told this back in verse 8, eternal life. If we do not give up. Give up what? Living by the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. And I guess ultimately, faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you believe in the human teaching of once saved, always saved, uh, you, you're not even going to grapple with that verse. You'll just read over it and go, oh, it can't mean anything bad because I could never lose my salvation. Now, I don't know if that is what it's telling us, but let's take it really seriously. Uh, I think this is what Paul's telling us. How we live out our faith and how we bear one another's burdens 
And even how we give is serious, serious business and has eternal consequences. So how do we apply all this? Well, we've been talking application all the way through, haven't we? Um, who here has not been challenged by what you've heard today? You see what I've done there? If I had said, who has been challenged? Maybe one or two of you might have gone like that and the rest of you'd be. But it's not safe to, to not answer this question. Uh, if you haven't been challenged by this, you'd better tell me now and um, we'll pray for you. So I think it challenges all of us, doesn't it? But even so, verse 10 sums up the application of pretty much everything that we've learned over the last few weeks. You and I are presented with opportunities every day of the week. Are we not? Opportunities to do good. Opportunities to keep in step with the Spirit. Opportunities to demonstrate the love that God has given to us in Christ Jesus by loving others. Opportunities to support ministry and mission. Opportunities to give to the poor. Opportunities to sow in the Spirit. Opportunities to do good and to work good. Does anyone not get opportunities like that during the week? If you don't, let us know and we'll bring you up to give you a few. The application is, as these opportunities come along, to keep in step with the Spirit and to work for the good of all people, but especially what Paul calls the household of faith. You know the old adage that charity begins at home? It's true. Your charity begins with God's family. Our first concern should be for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But that doesn't stop us from also loving all people. So when these opportunities do come to do good, to work good, to give, to sow in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, and, and the flesh then tries to convince us to live according to the flesh, who are we going to listen to? the flesh or the spirit. At the cross, Jesus gave his life for us. The cost of our salvation is enormous. Let us never turn our noses up at that. Jesus died to save us from our sins. He rose again to give us a new life. And he sent us his Holy Spirit to help us with this new life and to transform us from within so that we can live by the Spirit. Therefore, let us keep in step with the Spirit in all that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But Lord, we've, we've sometimes turned our noses up at that because we've deceived ourselves and it doesn't really matter how I live and it doesn't really matter that I've stifled the spirit and it doesn't really matter that I've embraced the flesh. God, forgive us. 
Lord, we pray that today would be a new beginning, a new beginning in your grace and by your grace. Lord, help us to keep in step with the Spirit. Help us to sow in the Spirit and to reap eternal life. And Lord, we want to thank you for this eternal life, something which it's not bought, it's not earned, and it's certainly not deserved. Lord, you've been so good to us. Help us now to live by the Spirit and to give according to the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.